Let's pray. Lord, we are excited about today because what happened today many years ago has made a tremendous impact on our lives. And it's going to make a tremendous impact on the lives of those who are about to encounter you today. We thank you. You're so wonderful. You're so good. And Lord, our, my desire is that we respond to your invitation today. Wherever we are, whatever we've done with the, with the decision, I just pray that we all respond in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we just give you permission to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this message today is, what is your response to him? That is good. So Mark chapter 14, verse 55, it says, inside the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Then Jesus said, I am, or in a a better translation, it says, the I am is here. And you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him, and they beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. And then most of us know the rest of the story. If you've never read the Easter story, I would encourage you. It's in um, some of the Gospels. can't remember if it's in all of them as far as all the details. But towards the end, uh, about Jesus being being tried, being uh, crucified, and being raised from the dead. I want to encourage you to read that if you've never, never read that before. But we know that after he was tried, they found him guilty. Then they decided to, to um, beat him. Uh, he was beaten almost to death. And then he was crucified, hung on a cross to die. And you know, one thing I find interesting, you know, they were trying to find reason to punish and kill him. You know, many people... Are, are executed for what they've done. But Jesus was executed for who he was. Totally innocent. And then he told the truth. He says, I am. I am God. And of course, they didn't believe that. And so they killed him because of who he was. And he was willing to die in our place. And you know, the, we get excited about the crucifixion. But if that's all that happened... That wouldn't be too much to be excited about because anybody can die, 
right? Anybody can die even for a good cause, and many people do. They die for a good cause. And how many of us have heard of religious leaders who, who came to show men and women the way to God, and then they died? And in different parts of the world, you can actually go to the graves of these famous religious leaders. And actually, if you dug up their grave, you'd still find the remains of those religious leaders. And you can go to Jesus' grave. I've been there. Got to, got to see his grave. Only problem is it's empty. It's empty. He's not there. And you know, so the, the crucifixion is one thing. We're excited about that. But if it wasn't for the resurrection, then the crucifixion would have been worthless. Because the resurrection proved that Jesus is who he was, who he said he was, right? And you know, there's, there's one thing I learned when I was a college student, and I was being challenged in my faith, and that's a whole other story that I may share sometime. Um, but I came across a book that really encouraged and helped me. It was an uh, apologetic book, a book defending Christianity. And one thing on the front of that book is called The Resurrection Factor. On the front of that book, there's a statement, and it became a very pivotal statement in my, in my soul. It says, there is more evidence pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event. I'm going to say that again. There is more evidence pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus than any other historical event. It's like, why is that? It's like God was trying to make it clear, look, this is my salvation. And I'm proving it by raising my son up. He was killed, murdered, killed, and then three days later, by the power of God, he was raised up. And there's more evidence pertaining to that fact than any other historical event. Don't you find that interesting? You know, a lot of people, especially in a town like this, a college town where you have people from all over the world, you have people from, who uh, have different religions, different belief systems, and a lot of people say, well, they're, they're all good. They all lead to the same God, just different paths to the same God. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Anybody have heard that before? And a lot of people believe that. You know, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, everybody say nobody, comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a pretty bold claim, wasn't it? So Jesus was saying, as arrogant as he was sounding, nobody gets to him except through me. That's what Jesus said. Now, there's all kinds of religious leaders that could have and probably said the same thing. I am the way to the Father. And so if someone wants to logically or intellectually think, hmm, there's all these, these good religious leaders, which one should I choose? Hmm, which one should I choose? Well, why don't you choose the one that's alive? That's a, that's a hint. You know, um, some people say that Jesus was just another good man, but there's no way he was God. And that sounds logical if you think about it a little bit, but if you think about it a lot, it doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus did not give any of us that option to think he was just a good man. 
Do you think about it? Jesus, there's only three options we have concerning Jesus. Jesus was either a liar, and what he was saying wasn't true. He was saying things that he knew wasn't true, and he was deceiving people. So that's, that's the first option. Or Jesus was a lunatic. He was messed up in the head. He believed in what he was saying, but he was a little short when it came to his intellectual capacity. So he was either lying or he was not all there, or he was Lord. He was exactly who he said he was, and God validated him when he raised him from the dead. Those are the only three options we have, only three options. And so I'm just saying that, you know, just giving you food to think about as far as your brain. You know, the Bible says that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? We get to love him intellectually. We don't have to be idiots when it comes to Christianity. People say Christianity is a blind faith. That's not true at all. Christianity is the most intelligent faith. If you, think of, if you look at all the facts and evidence, Christianity to me is the most intelligent faith out there. So just to, give you, just to give you something to think about, because this knowledge saved my uh, soul many years ago, because I was, I was having a crisis of faith, and then the Lord showed me these things, and it really encouraged me. So you know, most of us have heard the story of Jesus being crucified, Jesus being resurrected. We've heard this wonderful story many times. Some of you, maybe this is your first time you're hearing this. And so I go back to the first question, what is your response to Jesus? What is your response to him? You know, there's, there's one brother that, I, that I've gotten to know over the years, and many of you have too. He's, he, he's uh, from this congregation. This is his church home. And I know that um, you know, many people respond differently to the gospel. Some people agree with it, say, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I agree with Jesus. They believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, or they agree with it. And then some people take it as fact, and they embrace it, and they make it part of their lives. And see, the fact that Jesus is alive means that his power is still available for us who believe in him. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within Christians. Those of us who are born again, that same Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And the same things that Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he lived on this planet, he still wants to do through you and I. And there's one brother, I know there's many, he's not the only one, but there's one brother that I know of who, who believes in the gospel to the point of, he believes it's going to make a difference in people's lives. And so he approached a friend of his who had a physical condition, and he prayed for this friend, and the condition changed. And so what I'd like to do is just show this testimonial video of, of our brother uh, who not only believes in the gospel, but did something about it. Go ahead and play that video. See, that's because Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. You know, so what is your response going to be to the gospel of Jesus? You know, at the end, after I've, I finish uh, preaching, we're going to have a ministry team up here, and if you have... Uh, physical challenges or sickness or anything going on in your body, I just want to encourage you to come up and be prayed for and let the Lord minister to you because he still does that today because he's alive. Amen? Amen. 
Well, you know, I was challenged years ago at, to this very question. What am I going to do? How, is, how am I going to respond to Jesus? And, and I have to say, I have to admit, even up to this morning, I was up at 6 o'clock this morning, just hanging out with the Lord and everything, and I've, I've been struggling. I, I knew, I felt like the Lord weeks ago, I felt like what he put on my heart to share on Easter, and, it, and it's my testimony how I became a Christian, and, and then what God has done in my life and everything. And I have to be honest, up to this morning, I struggled with sharing this. It's like, man, God, are you sure? Is there anything else I can, anything else different? And the reason why, it's not that I'm ashamed of this testimony, although at one time I was, but it's because I've shared it so many times. And those of you who've been to church here many, many years, you've heard it before. And it's like, God, do I have to share it again? I mean, they've heard it over and over and over. And you know what he said to me? He said, son, I've been telling my story over and over and over for many years. Okay. And I, and I just thought that was so cool because, you know, I feel like, well, I need to have something different to share. But this is something that's impacted me, and we all have our testimony. And don't be ashamed to share your testimony of what God has done in your life, even if you share it over and over and over again. But I grew up being sent to church. My mom stayed at home, but she made sure my, me and my brother went to church. And so I've, I've been going to church most of my life. Um, at the time, I grew up in a Baptist church. At the time, I didn't mind too much because going to church on the bus, they made sure that we had glazed donuts. So I was a happy camper. And then on the, on the fifth Sundays, which were my favorites, they made sure we went home with McDonald's cheeseburgers. So it was a good thing for me. So anyway, so I went to church growing up. I loved God. I believed in him the best that I could. Um, and then I remember at, uh, at when I was 16 years old, I went, I went to a retreat, went on a weekend retreat with some friends of mine. And I wasn't necessarily there for learning about God and all that kind of stuff. You know, there were girls there. I was a teenage boy. Pretty excited about that. Playing football and all those kind of things. It's pretty exciting. And so, uh, but then one day the youth pastor literally scared the hell out of me. He started talking about hell. And it's like, how many of you, if you were to die right now, because he shared stories about how people didn't respond to Jesus and they, they went out the building and got ran over by a truck. You know those kind of stories? <laughs> Woo, got my attention. And he said, how many of you want to pray right now and give your lives to Jesus? You know, basically so you don't go to hell. Man, my hand was up. Yes, I don't want to go to hell. So I prayed the prayer. And for a couple of weeks, I was good. Felt really good and everything. But after a couple of weeks, it just kind of, the fear wore off. And that's pretty much what it was. I was motivated out of fear. I don't want to go to hell. And you know, that, that can work, because that can work for some people. Uh, I know people who have had the hell scared out, scared out of them. They gave their lives to Jesus, and they're loving him and serving him. And, and so that can work. God can use that. Didn't work too well for me, because after that, I just continued living my life um, the way I was. Age 17, I came to Oklahoma State University uh, to go to school, to get a degree. Basically, my desire was to make as much money as I could as quickly as I can. And so I found out as a senior in high school that engineers make the most money coming out right out of college. Now, lawyers and doctors will pass them up eventually, but right out of college, engineers made the most. And that's what I was interested in. I wanted to make it fast. I wanted to make money fast. I wanted to make a lot of it. And I wanted to do it legally so I could enjoy it. 
Didn't have to worry about going to jail or anything like that. So I, um, I saw a poster on my uh, math teacher's uh, wall in high school, and it, it had that chart. It had those statistics. So I said, engineer, that's what I'm going to do. Had no clue what an engineer was. I actually thought they drove trains. So I, I learned otherwise when I came to Oklahoma State. Um, but anyway, I came to Oklahoma State, engineering scholar, or academic scholarship, enjoying college, enjoying life and everything. <clears throat> and then I met this guy named John Coleman. Is Gordon in here? Where are you at, Gordon? You remember John? Now, Gordon, I think it, Gordon's the only one in this room that he was there the day I got saved back in 1986. So he's old. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Gordon was there, but uh, he knew John Coleman. But John Coleman was a, was a neat man. He was a senior. I was a freshman. John was a senior. Real neat young man. Very, it's like, you know, when you hear about people that glow, like, man, that guy or that girl just glowed. You know what I mean? And we've heard that. He was one of those people. I can't explain it, but it was just like he glowed. Um, and he took an interest in me. He befriended me. And I learned real quick that this dude was all about Jesus. I mean, he was a Jesus freak, you know, kind of a little too much for me. But he was very nice, very, uh, very compassionate young man, older actually than I was. But he was, he was one of those, um, he's a very good-looking, strong-billed, blonde hair, blue eye, all-American, rich, fraternity guy, president of his fraternity. His dad owned a, an expensive um, um, hotel chain. So this dude had money, and he was very loaded, but he didn't care about any of that. He was all about Jesus. Matter of fact, as the president of his university, I mean, his university, of his um, Greek organization, his fraternity, he would, uh, I guess once a month he had to make speeches or whatever. I can't remember how often it was. But for his speech, he always preached the gospel. Always preached the gospel. So he used every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So anyway, he befriended me, kept inviting me to church, and I kept blowing him off. I had an excuse because I already went to church. You know, I was going to, I, I continued to faithfully go to the Baptist church because that's what you do. On Sunday, I did the God thing, and on Monday through Saturday, I did the my thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so, I, hey, at least I gave God a day, right? Or actually, it was a couple hours, so he didn't even get a whole day. So anyway, John finally convinced me to go to church, and actually, it was kind of a fluke because he, I told him I would go to church. Church started at 10. I told him I would go. I wasn't intending to. I was just going to pretend like I slept in and that kind of thing. Well, anyway, he's banging on my door. It's like 9.48. Church starts at 10 o'clock. He's banging on my door. CJ, CJ, get up, get up. And it's like, no, it's too late. I'll go with you next time. He kept banging on the door. Boom, 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 boom. And my unchristian or non-Christian roommate opened the door and let him in. I'm like, dude, you just sold me out. And the reason why I let him in is because he was tired of the noise and he wanted to go back to sleep, Right? So anyway, John's, come on, get up, get up, get up. So finally, I gave in. I gave, got up, you know, deodorant, at least brushed my teeth, went to church. And it was, in, it was a very small church, uh, charismatic church. I never even heard of that before. But it was something interesting about the church. The people, they actually seemed to enjoy being there, which is a new concept. Because when I went to church growing up, once I got past the donut in the morning, I wasn't happy to be there. And nobody else was either because you could tell by the expression on their face. You know, there were no smiles. I, th I thought smiling was a sin as a kid. 
because it was very serious, stoic, and all that kind of stuff. Well, in this church, it was different. People actually seemed like, maybe they were just tricking me, they actually seemed like they enjoyed being there. And I got hugs, and, and just, it was just a happy and a wonderful atmosphere. So I thought that was cool. Enjoyed the music and everything. Uh, then a friend of mine who went with me, um, Lewin, remember Lewin? He got saved after church. The pastor preached. I don't remember what the pastor preached. And he gave an altar call. I didn't care. I just wanted to, okay, I went to church, did my dues. Now I'm going back to the cafeteria to eat. So, but Lewin got saved. And since Lewin was riding with me, that meant I had to wait for Lewin, right? Bummer for me. So after the pastor talks to Lewin, and then he calls me over here and says, CJ, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure. So I sat down in the front pew talking to him. I don't remember anything else he said, and it was a very short conversation, and he hit right to the core. He said, CJ, are you ready to give your life to Jesus 100%? Like, dude, we just met, you know? Slow down a little bit. He said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus 100%? He said, not 99%, not even 99.5, 100%. It took me three seconds to make the decision. You know how in those movies when something happens, a, a very powerful thing happens in the movie, and then the person has a flashback, and they go back years or whatever? Well, I had one of those flashbacks. When he asked me that question, I had a flashback to a few months. Because in college, I was enjoying school. I always enjoyed school. And, but up until about three months prior to this occasion, this, this moment, I all, of a sudden, I all of a sudden started having fear in my life. Fear. In other words, I was afraid to go to sleep at night, and I would be thinking, man, what happens if I die? What, what's this all about? All of a sudden, I was happy-go-lucky, mind my own business. All of a sudden, these thoughts began to invade my thinking. And they would come. In the daytime, I was able to push them aside, but at night when I was asleep or tried to go to sleep, that's when they'd get me. You know, like the boogeyman, you know, getting you. Those thoughts would just bump, and I couldn't shake them, so I'd toss and turn, toss and turn. And so that happened for weeks, 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 weeks. You know, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What happens if I die? All those kinds of big questions. So when he asked me, fast forwarding back to the movie, the first part, when the, the pastor asked me, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? 100%. At that moment, something inside said, he's the answer. All those questions I had, he was the answer. I'm like, what? He's the Heck yeah. So when I found out that Jesus was the answer to the turmoil that I was dealing with, I said, yes, I'm ready to sell out. So I gave my life to Jesus, prayed the prayer, and, uh, and I meant it. And you know, at one time, you know, growing up, I was never, I was a good kid by human standards, never caused anybody any problems. Now, my brother, my younger brother probably disagree with that because uh, we had our altercations and things like that, but uh, for the most part, I never rebelled against my parents, never did the social ill stuff, you know, drugs and gangs and all that kind of, I never did any of that. So I was a pretty good kid. But I recognized when he asked me to give my life to Jesus, I recognized at that time, conviction came on me, and I recognized that I was about to head to the same hell that any murderer, drug dealer, or any, the worst person, I was headed to the same place. I recognized that I was guilty before a holy and righteous God, and I deserve judgment. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, I recognized that he forgave me, and I was clean before God. And I remember at one time after I got saved, I used to be, a, I used to be embarrassed with my testimony because I had friends, 
And I've heard testimonies on TV of people who were the worst drug dealers or drug addicts or murdered people and, and just really bad people. And then they give their lives to Jesus and their life is miraculously turned around. You've heard those kind of testimonies? I used to love those testimonies. I'm like, dude, I wish I had one like that. And, and, and then I read a verse, and I don't want to preach on this part, but I read a verse that made me believe that only those, those who were really, really bad, those are the ones who can really, really love Jesus. I thought, what? So I thought, because I wasn't really, really bad, that I really, really couldn't love Jesus. And because I was in love with this man, all of a sudden, here's what I was tempted to do. Okay, God, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to go out and do some more sin. I'm going to go try drugs and stuff. And then I'm going to repent and come back to you. And then, now I'm serious, I really considered this until the Lord showed me something. that that's not, I, I misinterpreted that verse. Basically, those who understand where they stand in comparison to a holy God. And see, sometimes it's only the people who really have messed up. They're the ones that realize that. In us goody-goody people, we don't think we're that bad. But when you compare yourself, now if you compare yourself to the bad people, you can think you're all that. You compare yourself to God, you realize that you ain't none of that. And he showed me where I really stood, and then I realized I really deserve judgment. And therefore, I could be really grateful. So I didn't have to go and do all that stuff. He saved me from all that. And so I just love Jesus. So anyway, so I got saved, and all of a sudden, I just fell in love with people. You know, money was my little G-God. It was my pursuit. It was my life that I was pursuing. All of a sudden, it got flipped upside down. And all of a sudden, I just wanted to know God more. I wanted to know him, and I wanted to introduce people to him. Everything changed. He had me change my major from engineering to sociology, juvenile treatment and corrections which I give a big hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, to. That meant no more differential equations, statics and strengths, thermal dynamics. <laughs> Talking about deliverance. <laughs> hallelujah. You understand that, don't you, Dale? <laughs> Although some people are made to be engineers, so I'm not dissing you guys. I'm not one of those people. So anyway, so I'm pursuing Jesus, having a great time. This, this new pastor of mine, Don Averett, was discipling me. I was hanging out with people like Gordon and, and Paul Jackson and, and Frankie and, and all these guys that I got to meet, John Coleman at Maranatha, the church I went to, having a great time, loving life. And, uh, and Don, he began to teach me, one thing he would teach is that um, first, first Peter 5, 7 says, give all your cares and worries to God for he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. See, when I grew up, I used to believe that God was good but the only thing he really cared about concerning me as an individual was this, as long as I went to church and as long as I was good and just did the best I could. That's all that God really cared about. As far as daily details in life, he didn't have time for that. I mean, he's too busy holding the stars in place and all that, right? So God did not have time for my petty little daily stuff. Well, Don was teaching me otherwise because the Bible taught different than what I was thinking. Cast all your cares, not some, not most, all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So he began to teach me that, and that began to sink in. And then I remember going to class one day, and, and I had, I called what I call the setup. God was setting me up for a trap. I remember going to class, going across the OSU campus, 
And all of a sudden, and this was after, this was months after I'd been saved, about four months. And I was going across campus, and all of a sudden, this thought hit my, 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 uh, hit me, and I began to, and it said, you know, if God isn't real, you're wasting your time. All this going to church, reading the Bible, praying, and all that stuff you're doing, it's a waste of time if God isn't real. And I was thinking, that is right. Wow, yeah. Man, and if God isn't real, then I need to start going after money again, because if God's not real, then money is everything, and I need to do what I can to get all the money I can. So maybe I need to consider going back in engineering, and maybe I need... So I was that, that, that thought gained traction. And all of a sudden, I got interrupted. He said, however, if God is real, doesn't he deserve everything? I thought, you know, if God is real, then he does deserve everything. Then I'm, I need to keep doing what I'm doing, and I need to, you know, and I started following that process. And then that, that was the end of those thoughts. So that was two weeks later. Two weeks later, I'm in a crisis. Now, the crisis didn't happen. I mean, the crisis was building up, but I realized where I was at. Because being on scholarship, you have to maintain a certain GPA, right? We all understand that. Well, some of us don't necessarily do everything they can to maintain the GPAs they need to to keep the scholarship. And I'm not going to tell you any names. However, I was, I was failing my Calculus two class. Now, I wasn't doing it on purpose. I was trying, but my trying wasn't working. I was failing calculus two. And it was the night before the final, my final of calculus two, and uh, the grade on the test counted double, so I still had an opportunity to make a B in the class, which is what I needed to make to stay off of academic probation. Because of statics and strengths and all these other classes I wasn't doing too hot in, this was the last class that I could... um, survive in. So here I was the night before the final, Thursday night, I was failing. And if I failed, I could lose my scholarship. And I remembered what my pastor taught me. He said, CJ, remember, God cares about everything. So here I am in a crisis. I'm thinking, does God care about my math class? I mean, can God do calculus too? (laughs) 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 So I began to I said, God, and I began to explain to him, I was still a new Christian, and I didn't, know how much, I didn't know how much he was paying attention to my situation, so I had to inform him, hey, God, um, I have this scholarship, and I need to, you know, so I was telling him what was going on, and I said, Lord, I need to get a B in this class so I can keep my scholarship, because I don't have the money that the school's giving me through the scholarship. I can't afford, you know, I was explaining, I was explaining stuff to him, and he said, It wasn't an audible voice, but it was inaudible. It was something inside, but it was so real. He said, I will give you a B. And it was so real, it startled me. And because I was in the room by myself, I started jumping up and down, shouting, acting a fool, celebrating that, thank you, God's going to give me a B. Now, this is back in 1986, spring, I guess April, May-ish, right at, you know, whenever finals was, end of Early, early May. And at this time, Cosby Show was very real, new, and relevant and popular. Some of you young people say, oh, yeah, I watched the, the reruns. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the live event, okay? <laughs> Forget the reruns. So anyway, God was going to give me a B. I was so excited. I was going to get a B. And I was, one reason why I was very grateful, because Thursday night, there's a tradition that we started in our dorm. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Cosby came on, and we would all converge on the TV lounge, and we'd watch Cosby together. 
And I had a few more minutes before it was time for Cosby. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm out of here. And I was heading out the door. And that same small voice that said, I will give you a B, also said, where are you going? And I'm, like, and, I'm, and I'm recognizing this is God, right? So I'm like, you know where I'm going? Cosby. This is Cosby. I mean, you know where I'm going. And, and so I'm standing in the doorway arguing. Because he said, you need to study for your test. I'm like, I was under the impression that you didn't need to help me. I, I didn't need your help, or you didn't need my help getting that B. I thought, you know, you can. I'm like, what do you mean study? So I was frustrated. He's going to give me a B, but I had to study. That meant missing Cosby. So I had a big choice to make. Flunk, Cosby, you know. So anyway, I sat down. I realized that I needed to sit down and study. So I sat down. I got my Calculus 2 book out, a very thick, ugly book. And I was flipping through the pages. And, and the test is comprehensive, which means everything from cover to cover is fair game. And um, on this, in this class, the professor allowed us to use a cheat sheet. You guys remember what those were? You can take a piece of paper, write anything you wanted to, formulas, problems, definitions, anything. And, and that's when we learn how to write microscopic. Remember that? I mean, you can write like 10 chapters in one corner of your paper. <laughs> and you needed one of those microfish readers to read it, you know? So anyway, so we're allowed to use our cheat sheet. So I sat down and I was flipping through the, flipping through the pages. And then that same voice would say, study that problem. So I looked at the problem, didn't know how to do it. And so I thought, I'll ask George to help me. You can go ahead and put that picture up of George. This is a, this, if you can't tell, he's the one on the left. <laughs> Just making sure. But anyway, George, uh, he's the one that helped me, and I'll tell you a little about that in a second. But I hadn't seen, this was back in 1986. I hadn't seen him since then until November of 2016. I just saw him a few months ago. And uh, we met at, at, uh, at uh, yeah, Starbucks. I didn't want to say that name. But yes, we had met at Starbucks and, and had a good time. And you know, when I told him the story, I said, George, have I ever told you the story about the calculus too? And he said, no. Well, I told him about it. And he was, he was amazing and everything. So anyway, so George, he was also in the same scholarship program I was, engineering. Actually, he became an engineer, and I don't know if he's retired or he's still doing that, but so he went on and graduated and became an engineer. And uh, so I'd go to his room and say, hey, George, can you help me? Can you show me how to do this problem? And he said, sure. sure. So he showed me how to do the problem, and so I learned it. Now, these problems, these calculus two double derivatives, I'm not cussing at you. I'm saying an actual term, double derivatives. They take up a page, two pages, right, Dale? I mean, these are, these are nasty things. So anyway, so I learned how to do the problem, and then I go sit back at my desk, and I would flip through the pages, Holy Spirit again. Studied. Oops, sorry. They studied that problem. So I looked down, didn't know how to do it, went back to George's room. Now, this, this uh, working, working through this book, there were eight problems that I felt like the Lord was showing me how to do. And I probably went to George's room at least seven times. Maybe eight, but I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt that I could figure one of them out. But anyway, so I went back and forth to George's room. If I would have had a clue, I should have just stayed in George's room until I was done. But so anyway, so I had these eight problems. And guess where those eight problems ended up on my cheat sheet? Not only did I have those eight problems, I had definitions. I had definitions. I have everything on the back and front of this cheat sheet that I was allowed to use for my test. 
So the next day I go um, on my way to the final. And remember the Lord, I felt like the Lord told me I was going to give you, he said, I'm going to give you a B. So I'm going to class and all of a sudden this voice is this, you're going to flunk, you're going to fail, you're going to lose your scholarship, you're going to, all these thoughts. At the time I didn't recognize what was going on, I just knew, ah, this is not good. So I'm, I'm talking to myself. So if you saw me walking across campus, you would have probably had me committed. Because I was, I'm going to get, God said he's going to give me a B. So I'm arguing with whatever was, <laughs> I was arguing with, I'm going to get a B. God said he's going to give me a B. So I go to class. It's a two-hour final. We get two, hour, two hours final, yeah. And so um, the professor hands out the papers, says you may begin. And now these, these tests are the, the problems Obviously, there's a problem, and then there's, you get a whole page in the back to do the whole problem. So when I turn the test over, I look at the first problem, and I recognize the problem. It's like, yes, I know how to do this problem, because it was one of the ones I did last night. Did the problem, and then I turn to the next problem. It's like, I begin to flip through my whole test. There were eight problems on the test. They were the same eight problems that I had on my cheat sheet. The same eight problems I had on my cheat sheet. First of, all, first of all, I want to ask you a question. What's the probability of you guessing all eight, not half of them, all eight problems that were on the final? What's the probability? Can some math person tell me the probability? <laughs> Actually, it's a number, but it's a big number, like one times 10 to the, you know, however many zeros it comes after it. The chances of you guessing that or whatever. So I realized what would happen. And, and you would think, well, you were probably excited and ecstatic and jumping up, wanting to jump up and down. I got scared. Actually, the word is terrified. I was terrified because I realized at that moment the God of the universe had talked to me last night. The one that I thought was too busy holding the stars in place and didn't have time for stuff like this. He not only helped me, but he showed me the eight problems that were on this test. I was in freak out mode. I wanted to fall on the floor, light some candles and just worship. <laughs> Not like I think of it, but I thought I'd probably get in trouble for doing that. So I, so after I got my composure, I mean, I was about to freak out. I mean, if you can imagine the encounter, I just felt like I was hitting the gut with love. And I almost couldn't control myself. So after I calmed down, I don't know how long that took, I went on and did the test. I practically had it memorized. And it took me 15 minutes to do a two-hour test. Part of it was I had it memorized. The other part was just copying information from my cheat sheet to the test. And then after I finished, I was about to get up and turn my test in. Same voice said, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I'm going to turn my test in. He says, you can't do that right now. What are you talking about? It's a two-hour final. Fifteen minutes. Oh, yeah, he's pretty smart, by the way. Just... <laughs> so I sat there for another number of minutes, and I waited till other people turned their test in. Then I got up and turned my test in. I mean, if you're going to cheat, you've got to do it right. <laughs> Just saying. And you know, when I did something, when, we, when I walked out of that room, I was, 
because I was afraid that this piece of paper I had in my hand, so I tore it up to shreds. I had to destroy the evidence. Because I'm thinking, what if someone had seen that paper? And like, whoa, dude, you got all the problems on this test or that, that were on the test. Where'd you get that? What am I going to say? God gave it to me. <laughs> yep, me and God were tight. He gave it to me, right? That's probably not going to happen. So I just ripped it up. And needless to say, um, we're able to, we didn't have email and stuff back then. You know, my, my daughter asked me this last night. She said, Dad, no, uh, yeah, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. We were waiting to go uh, to Lawton. And she said, Dad, when you were a kid, did you um, do YouTube? Because she likes YouTube. Videos. She said, did you, did you YouTube? I looked at her, what? She said, when you were a little kid, did you like to watch YouTube videos and stuff? I said, honey, there was no YouTube when I was a kid. And she looked at me funny. <laughs> like I was fibbing or something. Like, come on, Dad, let's be serious. There was no YouTube when I was a kid. And there was no email when I was in college. And so now, you know, when you do your test, you can look online to see what scores you made and everything. Well, we had to go across campus to the professor's office and say, sir, what did I make of my class? So I went to him, and uh, that was another long walk. Because even though I had that experience, had all the, the tests and everything, going back to find out what I actually made, there's that voice again. Talking in my ear, you failed, you flunked, you're going to get caught for cheating, all this stuff. And so I go into the professor's office, and there's a line, there's people in front of me, and then I go up to him, I'm next, and he says, name, I tell him my name, Charles Ellis. And he's looking, I'm watching his face, because I'm scared. I'm thinking someone's ratted me out, or I'm in trouble, or something. So I'm very nervous. So anyway, I'm watching him, and then I'm watching his face. He goes, and then he looks, and he goes over to my grade, and all of a sudden, he kind of scowls. I'm thinking, <gasps> And then he says, I don't understand. My heartbeat is flying at this point. He says, you do very poorly in course. But you make A on final, you make B in class. And I said, thank you very much. Thinking, I'm just waiting for him to say, come back here, you know. So needless to say, I never got ratted out. And I made a B in the class, and I kept my scholarship. And then I go back to my, man, what am I doing? Anyway, I'll just keep my arms like this. So... So I go back to my room, and I, the place where God told me he was going to give me a B, I went to that place. It was by my bed, by the window, got on my knees, and I said, said, what the heck happened? I said, God, what is this about? I said, I don't get this at all. I said, why in the world would you give me a, help me with a B in that class? And he spoke to me, tried to preach him with this arm. <laughs> I got to practice. <laughs> anyway, he said, if I accidentally point at you, just know I'm not right-handed. <laughs> anyway, he said, he said, son, not only do I care about your math, I care about every area of your life. And it wasn't in I care, he's going to watch me to make sure I don't mess up. He was saying, I want you to know, I want to be intimately acquainted with you. 
And at that moment, you remember two weeks prior, if God isn't real, I'm wasting my time, but if he is, he deserves everything. Remember that? Totally sell out. I was already a Christian. I was done. I was totally messed up. I said, I don't get this. This isn't the God that I grew up thinking I knew. This is the God of the Bible. This is the one who hung on a cross and was raised three days later. And he says, I care about every area of your life. So what was my response to the gospel? I sold out. I said, Jesus, I'm yours. You know, some people, oh, yeah, sorry, wrong hand. Some people, they, they're afraid to give their all to him because they're afraid that he's going to make you a preacher or he's going to send you to Africa. Or something, in other words, you're afraid. If I, if I, if I go all in, he's going to make me do something I don't want to do. He's going to send me to some backwoods place, and I'm going to have to do all this kind of stuff. And, and so people, because of, I don't know where they got that thought from, but because of being afraid of the unknown, they're afraid to sell out. And so therefore, they hold back and say, I, I got this. And it's like you got one foot in, one foot out, and you're kind of holding on. Yeah, I believe in this Jesus character, but I think I'm going to keep control at least 70%. So if anything goes awry or I don't like how it's going, I can always redirect the ship. My theory, now, if he would have told me back then when I was a kid, 18 years old, seven, let's see, I was 18 by then, that I was going to be a pastor of a church and I was going to go to travel all over the world, if he would have told me that then, I would have freaked out and said, see ya, I would have pulled a Jonah. But he didn't do that. What happened was, was we started getting to know each other. And I found out he's a pretty awesome person, being. And as I got to know him and drew close to him and found out what he liked and he was changing me and everything, he was changing me, changing the desires of my heart. Either he was changing them or the desires of my heart were becoming a lot. And all the sin junk that was, and the bondages that were holding everything down was removed. And so these, these, this real stuff that I really enjoy and love started coming up. And I found out Delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. I found out, I was like, man, God, if I could just go to Africa. You know, I know it costs a lot of money, but if I can just go to Africa, man, it'd be awesome. I've probably been to Africa 10 times now. Maybe, if not that many, close to it. Got to travel all over the world. I'm doing what I do now, which is my passion. Because I realize this is what he's made me to do and be. So what I've learned is that when you sell out, and see, too many people aren't selling out. They're half in, half out, lukewarm. We all know that's not good. And so you're missing out. You're miserable. You're miserable, and you're missing out, and, and you are looking at your situation as real Christianity. You think this is all there is to it? This is, this is overrated. And it's not really working for you because you're half in, half out. And until that line is drawn in the sand, and until you cross over and say, Jesus, you're it. You are Lord, which means boss of my life. Until then, 
you're not going to experience the abundant life that he's designed you to experience. You know, I find what I get to do, I was telling my parents this last night because I thought they knew, but they didn't. My parents didn't know I was a chaplain. They didn't know that. I thought they knew. Chaplain for law enforcement. And one of the things that I get to do, this may sound kind of crazy to you, but what I get to do, I see it as a privilege, is I get to serve law enforcement by attending them or going with them to do death notifications. You can imagine what that means. Someone just killed themselves. I get to tell the wife. A 19-year-old girl gets killed. I get to tell the mom and dad, you'll never see your daughter alive again. Just not too long ago, not too long ago, got to, I had to sit with a lady whose, son, whose uh, husband just killed himself. Sat with her for a few hours, a couple hours. But here's, there's, that, that sword is kind of two-edged. The, the, the good news is, well, the bad news is, I was telling my wife this and, and realizing this. I think I've done seven, seven or eight notifications so far. And I think from my assessment, all eight of those situations were non-believers. People who didn't know Jesus or people who didn't go to church. Now, I don't know if they did or didn't because it was just a, an assessment from what I could see, if you know what I mean, right? I don't know what's in their heart. But just the environment they were in, it wasn't, it didn't seem like the Lord was present. And it, it's blowing my mind because I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma, right in the middle of the Bible Belt. Everybody goes to church, or everybody knows Jesus, or everybody, you know what I mean? And I'm discovering that's not the case. I mean, out of all the situations that I've been in so far, about seven or eight, none of them seem to be Christian. I'm thinking, well, something's not right. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor still, and I went to um, Lincoln Academy, and I went to the junior high part when they started the junior high part, and it was Good Friday, and then the uh, the teacher, I knew her, I was volunteering for her actually, she said, um, it was Good Friday, and she said, uh, ask the class, hey class, what is Easter, what's Good Friday about, what does Easter mean, everything. And these are 13, 14, 15-year-olds, probably 25 kids in the class, Stillwater, Oklahoma. None of them knew the answer. I said, I know you guys are fooling around. I know there's no way kids in Oklahoma don't know what Easter's about. One girl raised her hand kind of sheepishly, or a boy, somebody raised her hand, said, Easter Bunny? And they weren't being funny. None of those kids knew what Easter was about. This is right here. I'm not talking about Iraq, where I've been, or India, where I've been. Okay, keep that hand right there. But right here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and this is a number of years ago, and I don't think yet it's gotten any better. But here's the flip side of that, or the other side of that sword. So basically, people in our society are hopeless, helpless, a lot of them, because they're without Jesus. Here's the other side. We know Jesus. We are ambassadors of hope. We have responded, and we are going to respond to the gospel. 
And as a result of that, we get to make a difference out there. So the people who are out there hopeless, helpless, dying, discouraged, and all that kind of stuff, you people are going to do something about that. We get to do something about it. What is your response to the gospel? I'm going to ask you that question again, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something about it. You know, maybe you've gone to church all your life. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were 10, 8, 7. But as you grew up, you kind of started doing your own thing. Maybe you've just lived a whole bunch of mess. You've done a lot of bad things in life, and you know you're guilty, and you know what you deserve. Excuse me. Maybe you've been going to church, you love Jesus, walking with him, but you've just been kind of coasting. And today we get to celebrate one of the most powerful days in history, the resurrection of Jesus. Are you ready to let that reality impact you and make a difference in your life? So here's my question. I'm going to ask you to respond by standing, and then I'm going to pray with you. I'm drawing a line in this. What am I doing? Change hands. Oh, switch it to handheld. Gotcha. Where is it? How's that? All right, we're better. Okay, so what I'm going to ask you to do is, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Thank you very much for reminding me. I'm just going to ask you to respond. <clears throat> and I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask the people next to you to close your eyes either. And basically you're saying, wherever you're at, maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. And maybe you did a long time ago. Maybe you did last year or whatever. But you recognize, you know what? I'm not living. I'm not full in. But I'm going to be. If you're ready to be full in, wherever you're at, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'm ask you to stand right now. And I'm going to ask the ministry team to come on up. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. And basically, there's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's you saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. Just like when I did, I was saved four months back, but when that thing happened, it's like, I'm all yours. And from that point to now, I've been all in minus a few stupid choices along the way. But we're going to pray. And if this is the first time that you've ever made any decision about giving your life to Jesus, when we finish and when I dismiss, I would like you to come up and, and let one of these people pray with you and you let them know, this is my first time. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Okay? So let's pray. I'm going to basically have you repeat after me. So let's just, now we can close our eyes and bow our heads and do that thing. And just repeat after me in your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you did. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. You're so good. And I just want you 
and the angels and the devil to hear this. I'm all yours, Jesus. You are my boss. You are my Lord. You are my king. By your grace, I'm going to run the race that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Man, he's so good, isn't he? He's so good. Now, what I'd like to do is, we don't just like to talk about Jesus and talk about the resurrection power that's made available, but we like to share that with people. And so if you have any physical need in your body or any challenging situation that you need God to intervene, I would like to invite you to allow these people to partner with you in that need. If you're sick, they want to lay hands on you and bless you and pray for you. If you have a situation where you need a miracle, they want to agree with you and, and, and maybe offer godly wisdom or whatever. But I want to encourage you to give them that opportunity. And if this is the first time you committed your life to Jesus, please let one of them know so they can pray for you. Okay? We good? All right, Father, thank you again for, for just your goodness. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in this church family. I thank you for the impact that New Covenant Fellowship is going to have on this community. I thank you for the lives that are being changed and that are going to be changed. I thank you for the transformation that we get to partner with you in seeing happen. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful resurrection day. And please come forward to allow them to minister to you. God bless you.